Hey everybody, welcome back to Simply Holy Living, where we make the holidays holy days. And we are in to Advent 2021. And I just want to remind you that our theme for this year is making room. And trust me when I say, I get how hard this is. <laughs> Actually, I was thinking about how I think I really need the 70 days. Next year, I really got to do that because I think it takes me 20 days just to chill, you know, just to bring it down a little bit. But anyway, we are going to continue trying to make room this season and just keep pressing restart. You know, I keep finding myself I'm like, why are you still busy? What's going on? <laughs> because I actually have slowed down quite a bit. I'm like, wow, I guess I was going faster than I thought. Anywho, here we go. We are into week number two, and this week we are going to be talking about the peace that Jesus brings. So, you know, I've been thinking about this um, for, of course, uh, all week, just sort of preparing and looking at all the scriptures, and I was, I was just noticing how many times um, this concept of peace comes into play. And the first thing that struck me was uh, Jay had looked up all the scriptures on peace and, you know, sent me a little note and we were going back and forth discussing it. And we both were just um, taken aback by how many times Paul used peace as his greeting to the churches whenever he would write. And actually, in every single letter that he writes, he begins with some tiding or some greeting, including peace to the church in Rome. It says to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To the church in Corinth, in both letters, he says grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To the church in Galatia, grace and peace to you, he starts. To the church in Ephesus, grace and peace to you. Philippians, grace and peace to you. To Colossae, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you. Then to the Thessalonians, um, in Thessalonica, he says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. He says that in both books. And then when he's, re when he's writing to Timothy, he says, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To Titus, he says, to my true son in our common faith, grace and peace to you. Then when he's writing to Philemon, grace and peace, right? So this is this pattern of always greeting God's people with a tiding of peace, a greeting of peace. It's almost like this was his speaking peace into them, not his own, but the peace that comes from God and Jesus Christ. Peter does the same thing in his book, in his letters. He says, grace and peace be yours in abundance. John greets everyone the same way, grace, mercy, and peace in all of his letters. And then, of course, in his revelation, when he's greeting all the churches, he says, John, to the seven churches in province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and was and who is to come. So this is, that was the first thing that struck me was just how many times um, the people of God, the people of Jesus would greet each other with the words of peace. And then I was thinking about when Jesus was born, 
and all of the messages that were coming to them from the various angels. You know, in Luke 1, verse 79, it says that Jesus was coming to guide our feet into the path of peace, reminding us that there is a path that leads to peace. And then when the angels, of course, are announcing his arrival to the shepherds, what do they say? They say, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. You know, peace has always been a glad tiding. <laughs> and so that makes me, it just is good to remind me that it's not only in the year 2021, we are longing for peace. We meaning mankind. I mean, even back in the first century, they were longing for peace. I think that as long as humans have been alive, it has always felt like we're in this world of chaos. You know, this world of unrest, uh, a lack of peace, of stress, of striving, always striving. And God is always trying to get us to understand that he is where peace lies. You know, from the very beginning, he took the void or the chaos, right, is what it says. He took the void and he said, let there be light. And he began organizing and began forming peace out of chaos. And I guess before the fall was probably the only time that human beings were actually walking in that peace. But since the fall, it has been something that we've been longing for. I know that's something that you're longing for, peace and quiet. You know, that's there's a reason those two words go together. Just can I get a little bit of peace and quiet? I think this is exactly how they were feeling in the first century under the Roman rule. But I don't think it's just because of the Roman rule. Because even when the Jews were in control, even when it was the great time of David, when, you know, they had a king that was leading them to worship God and follow God and walk in those paths, there was still so much unrest that would surround them. You know, when Jesus was uh, leaving this earth, actually after he had already been buried and he resurrected, and it, he was coming back uh, and he goes through the wall. If you remember this story in John 1, he says, I've told you these things. Oh, I'm sorry. In uh, John 20, it says, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Through the, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Which probably made them all remember how those were sort of his last words to them when they were, um, you know, getting ready to enter into the Last Supper and all that. He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I have told you these things so that in me you might have peace. In this world you will have trouble, okay? But take heart, I have overcome the world. You know, he was always reminding them, I have come for a reason and that is going to bring you peace. Um, you know, later when Peter was preaching and he was spreading the good news, the gospel, he says this in Acts 10. He says, you know, the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Christ Jesus, who is Lord of all. You know, the gospel has always been the good news of peace. And in fact, there is no peace outside of the gospel, meaning the good news about Jesus Christ. In Ephesians later, we even see that it says that Christ himself is 
our peace. In Ephesians 2, it's actually Ephesians 2, 14, it says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, meaning the Jews and the Gentiles, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law and its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile them both to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came to preach peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. You know, we're not the first century in history where there are opposing people in, that, that God has to reconcile to peace inside of his church. Jesus becomes our peace. You know, of course, they had Jews and Gentiles. We have what? Democrats and Republicans. You know, we have all these, we have these different opinions coming together. We have different, we have different walks of life, people from different backgrounds and different heritages and different races and all of that. But we all come together in one place where Jesus becomes our peace. We may not be able to agree on anything else concerning this world, but the one thing we know is that Jesus is our peace. I mean, it's just an incredible concept. So we look at all of this, you know, that and, and realize that there is a longing inside of us for peace that we all feel, especially right now. Man, there's just a lot. <laughs> the, the holidays bring so much. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day and um, we were just talking. As, actually, at that time, we were talking about Hanukkah, which ends today. Actually, I'm, I'm recording this and hopefully putting it out on the last day of Hanukkah. So we were talking about Hanukkah and... Um, this friend of mine who happened to be Jewish and he was just talking about how growing up, it's just so counter to culture, to everything that's going on in America during this time. You know, you would feel like, oh my gosh, there's this huge holiday where uh, really America shuts down in many ways um, to just focus on this one holiday and you're doing something completely and totally different, <laughs> which is Hanukkah. And I thought, well, you know, actually that is the way that Advent really is if we were actually really entering into the season of Advent. The season of Advent originally was a time of fasting. Okay, I know that's crazy sounding, like there's no way we could almost even fathom it, but I wanna to try to help you picture it. So for example, in Germany, during the fall, in, they would have their big Oktoberfest and there would be so much partying and so much fun and all these crafts you know, and festivities and they would have these big markets that would open up on the street and everybody would be celebrating how summer was turning into fall and it would just be this big festival. But as soon as the first Sunday of Advent came, everything shuts down. So the entire um, city would shut down and just become just become dark, really. There would be no selling, there would be no buying because they would think of that as, you know, sort of sacrilegious, right? They, they don't wanna be, um, they wouldn't want to be partaking in such a, uh, a, a sort of a sacrilegious sort of activity during a sacred time. So they just shut the whole city down and it becomes a time of fasting and introspection to, to, to set aside time to be able to look within, um, to consider the coming of Jesus um, in his birth and then to really 
fathom and try to wrap their minds around this this really um, mind-boggling thought that Jesus is coming back and how would I even prepare for that how do I if it happens now how would I want Jesus to find me right so it's this time of of quiet introspection they wouldn't decorate there was nothing up it was just basically you know a time to go to church and a time to consider but then all of that would lift actually um on christmas eve every bit of it goes away and that's when you put up every decoration you light all of your candles you light the tree you um make a huge feast you bake cookies you know that's when all the feasting begins is on christmas eve and so everything lights up everybody is celebrating and then that goes into christmas day where you're actually celebrating the birth of jesus and that lasts for 12 days and it's feasting for 12 days so yes there's a lot of fasting but then there's this huge time of feasting it just sounds so cool like i think it would be so cool if that actually happened if you could imagine that america just kind of shut down the you know um the first day of advent and there no stores were open we weren't selling anything we weren't buying anything we weren't doing any of that and then just christmas eve starts this huge celebration that lasts for 12 days that would be so awesome you know i realized that that's not gonna happen <laughs> probably in my lifetime i've tried my dead level best in my own little teeny tiny family to try to adopt these um you know these customs of advent but let me tell you the kids were not really excited about the thought of fasting and definitely you know they weren't even excited about waiting until christmas eve to put up our trees so you know my tree is all decorated my house is decorated i'm not i'm not um forming some anti-santa you know uh coalition i'm not trying to rebel against the season of america i'm just thinking and imagining what it would be like if that was sort of our posture towards this time and it makes me think that would be awesome but this time where we're really sort of um, speeding up, it seems like it's counter peace, right? Like you, you're, you're longing for this time of peace, but it seems like you're speeding up. So my, my, my curiosity, my questions run to how do we gain this peace? And I've thought about it uh, and I sort of looked through all these scriptures on peace and I categorized them into three different I don't know, categories, three different ways. And today I only want to talk about one of them. So this is going to be sort of a three-parter. I'm sorry that I'm so inconsistent with the way that I record for Simply Oli, but you know, I just do what God allows. And sometimes he allows barely a time for one video and sometimes he allows for more. So I'm hoping he's going to allow for more. And I just want to cover one of the categories today. And that is the thought of sowing in peace. Um, and so I'm using this, that this analogy of the farmer, you know, the planter, the gardener, who we're gonna do sowing in peace and then growing peace and then harvesting peace. So today is gonna be about sowing peace. And I think the most, um, you know, widely known scripture about sowing peace would come from James 3, 18, where it says peacemakers, who sow in peace, reap a harvest of righteousness. And I want us to think about how difficult it really is 
to sow. It's really difficult to be all the all of you who are gardeners know how difficult it really is to keep up with your gardening. And I uh, I remember in the past I would have all these like I'm gonna garden. You know I would see my friends who all had these great gardens. I'd be like I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna garden. <laughs> and I would get out there one day and I would start gardening, and the next day I'd be like Oh my gosh, I'm so sore. You know like it takes so much effort to plant. It takes so much effort to garden. And this is the first. This sort of counterintuitive thought is that peace takes work. Now, oftentimes we think about peace as being a state of, of relaxation, of not working, of just sort of sitting back and feeling peaceful. But actually, the Bible talks a lot about how much work it takes. Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible. So that right there tells you um, it may not be possible. There's a big if there. <laughs> if it is possible. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. This gives us the idea that this is gonna take some work. Romans 14, 19 says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Here it's talking about making every effort to live in a way that you're gonna be peaceful with other people. Ephesians 4 says, 4.3 says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And we all know how hard that is, even within the church where people are striving to be people of peace. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. That means that you have to do something about it, right? You have to flee from one thing and pursue. You're running after it. Okay, 1 Peter 3.11 says, this is actually a quote from the Old Testament, but it says, they must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. Peace is going to be something we have to seek. It's going to take that running after. And, fi and finally, Hebrews 12, 14, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Okay, so I've been just sort of, you know, marinating in these scriptures and thinking how, what would it look like to pursue peace? What does it look like to be actively pursuing a state that leads to peace? And I'm sure there's a lot of different, this would be different for every single person, right? So what it looks like to pursue peace for you in the state, of, in your stage of life, as a young mom, as a student, as an empty nester, as a wife, as a single woman, as someone working in an office, as somebody working at home, of course, the way this looks is going to be different. But I thought of some things that, that we could all try to implement, okay? So these are just little things. Some of them will work for you and some of them will not work for you. I say try them out, see what works, and uh, see what God can do. But the first thing I wrote down was, number one, be quiet, <laughs> okay? There's a reason that peace and quiet go together. And you know, our, our, a, our culture, the culture that we live in seems to there's like something neurotic about our need for background noise at all times. Some of you might've grown up with a parent who had the TV on all the time. 
um, I, I grew up in a household where the TV was on all the time. Now, it could be that nobody was watching it, especially my mom. My mom would have the TV on all the time and she wasn't necessarily watching it. She was doing other things, but she wanted that background noise on all the time. When we go to restaurants, it's, it's hard to find a restaurant where they don't have TVs going on at, behind you everywhere. And you know, it's hard to remember there was a time where actually restaurants were quiet. You went to a restaurant to have a quiet dinner, but now it's the louder, the better. It seems to be that noise um, reminds us of fun or activity or of friendships. And if there's a lot of noise going on and that it makes us feel like, hey, everybody's having a good time. And there is a, there is a time for that. I like that. I like to have that atmosphere sometimes. But there is something to be said for absolute quiet. No humming in the background no background music even, but just quiet. You know, I'm a musician, so of course, when background music is going, I'm listening to the music. It's like I, it's like I can't stop myself. It's like a designer walking into a room and they, they're looking around at the color of the walls and the, um, you know, the, the, the structure of, of the um, architecture and the floors and how this fabric goes with that and these colors combining with that and how the linear structure, where does it lead your eye? I only know these things because for the past year I've been, I've, I've been moving for the past year. That's what it feels like. And one of my very good friends, Michelle, is a designer. And so whenever she walks into a room, she's noticing everything. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to tell myself to notice it. Well, whenever I walk into a room, I notice what the sounds are and I notice what the music is. And so automatically I'm distracted. Now, there are some sounds that will bring us peace. We could have the sound of the waves coming in on the ocean. We could have the sound of the river, peace like a river, right? There's a reason that we sit by a river and feel more peaceful, that sound of water. Maybe it brings back something from the womb, you know? Um, that's what some science says, but there is a peaceful sound of water. But I think we all need to give silence a chance just to be still and be quiet. And so looking for ways and looking for situations where you would normally have background and just seeing maybe I could just experience silence and see what it does to my soul. See, we're trying to see what all of these physical things that we can do, these tangible things we can do, how does it affect our soul? We have to remember that we are a, are a human trinity of our own. You know, we know that God is somehow a triune God. We know that he is a father and a son and a spirit all at once. And we will never figure that out. <laughs> oh my goodness. How many people have been fighting about this for 2,000 years as if we're going to be the ones who finally figure this out? Maybe it's just a great mystery that we will never understand until we get to heaven. Well, we as humans are also somewhat of a trinity. We've got our body, we've got our mind, and we've got our soul, right? So the more we can see how these things can all work together, I think the closer we will be to our Creator since he created us that way. And so looking for the physical things that can actually bring a, a soul response is such an important thing. So maybe just trying to find quiet in all of your, um, in all of your activities. I've been driving in silence lately. That's something I've never done in my entire life. Like 
the car is meant for listening to music. That's what, <laughs> that's what I thought. That's, you could never have a car without, you know, a radio because how would you listen to music? That's what it's for. But I've just been driving in complete silence, at least for this season, just to quiet my soul. Okay, or maybe you do do the dishes in quiet or, or you know, whatever you're doing, see if you can find some quiet times um, in your space in life. And now that I've said all that, I'm gonna talk about the effect of music. <laughs> Number two, that music can produce peace. It can produce peace. I know we had a service last night. It was our Saturday service. We had one Saturday service in this season. And um, we did that song, Quiet. And the person that was singing, the, the woman that was singing, um, she just broke down crying because, you know, it's just so moving. And I think most of the audience was crying as well. We were, it's just moving. Music has a way of moving the soul toward peace. And so, you know, one of the practices that I found helpful is to just find a song um, that brings quiet to your soul, that brings peace to you and just put it on, get your earphones on, go down on your knees. If you know all the words already, just bow your head and you know worship through the words. Or you can watch the words as they go by, which does something incredibly powerful, I don't know why, but if you can see the words go by, if you get one of those um, lyric videos from YouTube, if you can watch the lyrics go while you're listening, and while you're on your knees, something magical happens and peace can come. Um, taking a walk after dark right now, it's really easy since we're in daylight, uh, since we're out of daylight savings. Um, you know, maybe after dinner, walking through your neighborhood in the peace and the quiet because all the Christmas lights are up right now. And so just walking by and and, and seeing the beauty of the lights, you know, take your kids to do that and just walk quietly through the neighborhood. You'll, you'll, you'll be amazed how much it, it quiets your soul. Um, and now here is the little thing I've done over the past month that has had the biggest effect on my peace. Absolutely, hands down, number one. I turned off all notifications on my phone. <laughs> that may scare you. Um, I, I don't know why. I, I already didn't have a lot of notifications. I just have my texts. They would they would notify me, and then I think my group me, um, you know, a couple of communication things. I don't even have news. God, you know, for of course not. Uh, social media, none of that. Maybe you have it all. I don't know what you have, but I all I had was my communication with just people, and I can't tell you how different it was just to even turn that off. So I turned every notification off on my phone and I was gonna try it for a day and see how it went. Well, a month later, I can tell you that it is it has given me the most peace out of everything that I've tried so far because I think I just severely underestimated how distracting it is to continually get ping, 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 ping. So I turned off my notifications and I was just oh my gosh, I, I got so much stuff done. I could give unlimited, um, you know, attention to one thing. Un, un, let's un, what, what am I trying to say? Undisturbed um, attention to something. And that just brought so much peace. I was so much more calm. Then I started realizing that Jay's dings were bothering me. <laughs> 
So I asked him, you know, I was like, babe, turn off your notifications. And so then he turned off his notifications and I cannot tell you the difference in our house night and day. Okay, so that was a big one. Another one is just the practice of being um, present in any situation. So meaning, so when I go to church or when I go to work or when I go to an appointment or wherever I go, I try to, first of all, get there early, as we talked about last week, I think I talked about that. And then I just take a few minutes, it can be one minute, three minutes, five minutes, whatever you need, 10 minutes. And just, it's almost like you're turning off all of the notifications in your head, all of the things that have, are, you know, and that you just came out of, the, the stuff that you just got done doing, you know, I, I, I'll give an example. On Friday, I was meeting with um, a couple for coffee at 10 a.m. Well, by 10 a.m., I've already lived an entire day. I mean, I know some of you moms, you can relate to this, right? So I, I feel like I had already lived an entire day because I had gotten up and I had had my own quiet time and then I had had to um, get my daughter up and get her ready and then make sure that um, everything was started around here uh, that needs to be started in the house and then I left and it was my day to do carpool So I'd take the whole carpool which was really long There's a long line to that day And so then from there on Fridays I have to go to the grocery store and get the grocery get the groceries done before I have this prayer time that we have with the staff at 830 on um, Which just a phone time but get that done then enter into the the prayer time and then by that time, it's nine o'clock, it's only 30 minute prayer time. So at nine o'clock, I gotta get everything unloaded from the groceries, get it all put away, make sure that I've taken everything out for the dinner that night, make sure that the laundry is started and the cleaning is going so that by the time sundown comes, we'll be able to enter into the Sabbath. So you see what I'm saying, that's my Friday morning, right? And then I'm doing that and then I realize I've forgotten to do something. Oh, I can do it on the way to our coffee uh we, we gotta send these texts about this thing that's gonna happen tomorrow blah, 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 blah. you know so all the way up to this meeting that's how it feels you know like doing a billion things so how am i entering into this coffee with these people where we're gonna talk about we need to talk about some stuff that's actually pretty heavy and it's gonna take a lot of thought and it's gonna take a lot of prayer and it's gonna take a lot of spirit and yet i'm like you know, all up in this whole day that I've had before I'm even getting to this coffee time. And of course, I didn't leave any buffer time. So I'm getting out of the car and I'm sending a text as I'm getting up there, you know, to sit down with, with my friends. You know, I think where I've gotten to is I just have got to allow more margin, more time, so that when I'm entering into this time that actually requires some preparation, that I allow myself some time for preparation. <laughs> I could sit in my car and go, okay, so I need to be present for what's getting ready to happen. God, help me to be present. It can be just taking three deep breaths and praying in peace and breathing, breathing in peace and breathing out stress or anxiety or hurry, you know, but breathing in peace. So that's an idea is just setting yourself up to be present in every situation. We had church last night and many times I could be doing too many things to be present at church, at church. Okay, so that right there tells you that's a problem. <laughs> so I had to go, 
no, I'm, what am I doing here if I'm not going to be present for God, if I'm not going to be present? So we have to allow ourselves the time to bring ourselves to, into the situation that's before us. Um, here's another one. Give up multitasking whenever possible. Just decide I'm going to do this one thing. I'm going to give my full attention to it. And actually, you would be surprised at how much peace that brings. So I'm going to just wash the dishes, not wash the dishes and talk on the phone and prepare this recipe on the side while I'm doing everything. You know, <laughs> I'm doing like five things at once. I'm really, I'm really good at doing five things at once, but just proactively saying I'm going to do one thing at a time. And then finally, the last thing is uh, picture yourself bringing peace to every situation. I was thinking about how Paul probably pictured himself as when he was talking to people, I'm going to bring them, I'm going to allow the peace of Christ to come through me to these people. And allowing ourselves to bring peace to the situation, um, being a conduit of peace, so that when you're entering into a meeting, when you're entering into a time, that you realize, I'm the peace bringer. I'm the bringer of peace. It's a responsibility, you know. So anyway, those are... Uh, some things and I, I actually one more thing about that I got this idea because I was listening on TikTok I love TikTok and I was following this woman um she is walking through this journey of she her dad has Alzheimer's and she's just sharing her experience of that and one of the things she talked about was how her dad had always told this story he had read a book um by a guy uh, and I that I don't even remember but one of the things the guy said was that he taught himself to love people by whenever he would see people, strangers, anyone, he would always say under his breath, I love you. I love you. And it changed the way that he saw people. And I started practicing that. And then I started thinking about this with peace. Like that's a thought that we can say as we're getting ready to see people. It's like, I'm the, I'm the peacekeeper. I'm the bringing the peace here. I'm a peace giver. I'm a conduit of peace. I'm going to bring them peace. So anyway, but all of that is about how to find vertical peace. All of those ideas are, how do I find vertical peace? How do I sow peace with God? And it takes a lot of effort, right? But how do I sow horizontal peace too? How do I sow peace horizontally? And I think that, you know, it is the garden analogy because plants go up, they grow up, and they grow out, right? We always, I always, re, I always for, remember that after I have forgotten it and I have planted my, my uh, you know, whatever it is I'm planting too close together. And I'm like, ah, I didn't leave enough room <laughs> for the outward growth. I forgot. I just pictured them growing up. But no, they grow out and then they start to get intertangled and then they start to affect each other. And I've got my, you know, my tomatoes growing into my squash and all this so um, that's kind of like us, right? How do, we, how do we grow into each other in the kingdom? How do we sow peace horizontally? Because, you know, it creates conflict. A lot of growing together in the same garden, well, it can create problems. We, you know, we, we rub up against each other and we start to get all tangled up and our sins start to hurt other people and their sins start to hurt us. And this is where we are in the kingdom of God is this tension. So how can we sow peace horizontally? And I think we just, first of all, we have to remember that this is actually a fact. There's not something 
gone wrong, so to speak. This is God's plan A. <laughs> There's no plan B. His plan A is the church. That's it. The church is designed to bring, to be the salt of the earth, to be the peace, the, the bringers of peace to the earth. So um, now there's something wrong in the fact that there's probably sin involved on everyone's part, okay? On everyone's part. You know, I have hurt people so badly and people have hurt me so badly. And in any situation, it's a mix of both. It's always a mix of both. There's rarely a good guy, bad guy, rarely in life. Um, only in the movies is there an all good guy, all bad guy, right? In real life, we're all good guys and bad guys at all the same time. So we're all hurting each other. So, um, yeah, so that's a first realization is just to like, this is the way it's going to be. And it doesn't necessarily mean that something's gone horribly wrong. So when we enter into these times, I think one of the things that helps me is I pray for the other person. The Bible says to pray for your enemies. And I know these people are not even my enemies. These are my brothers and sisters. So, that, so much, how much more if I'm in a conflict with some, somebody and they've hurt my feelings or they, you know, I've hurt them or there's, there's some sort of yucky, we can't figure it out going on between us. If I pray for them, it helps my heart to come to peace. It's a way to sow peace horizontally. Um, I pray, pray for humility to see um, where you're wrong, which is, so you're praying basically for self-awareness, like God, show me where I'm at fault. Show me where I'm wrong. Um, I feel like I clearly see where the other person is wrong, <laughs> which may not be true. It may, it may, we may have a plank in our eye. I have been known to be, you know, it has happened to me where I've had a plank in my eye and people have had to say, I think you have a plank in your eye. Um, so yeah, it's true. We, we need to pray to see our own plank, right? The other person may have a problem too, right? But let's, let's pray for self-awareness first. Is this person saying something that other people have said to me before? Is, is there something that I've done? What is that, God? Help me to be aware of what it feels like to be on the other side of me. Um, another thing is to stop avoiding. Um, what, sometimes our solution, um, some people are going to go into a situation. They're going to, you know, let's talk about this. That's definitely me, more me. Like, we'll talk about this. Talk about it and it'll all work out. <laughs> um, which can have its flat sides, of course. Because um, it can feel to the other person that you're bullying them into some sort of reconciliation. I definitely am the bringer of the bullying, I think. But on the other side of that, there can be the avoider, you know, the person that uh, I'm just going to pretend like this isn't happening. I'm going to go away. It's too scary. I can't do it. They're the turtle, right, in this situation. Um, so they pull back into their shell. Well, that creates a lot, a lot, a lot of problems as well. Just as many, just as many problems. So we have to stop avoiding them. Um, another thing is to stop all gossip. This is another way to sow peace. Um, first of all, if you've been, if you've been gossiping about it, if you've been talking to other people about it, um, you need to go back and you need to apologize for doing that. Um, because it's sort of like spreading a, a, a cancer through the body. I know that's a different analogy. I don't want to say that. So I don't know what you're doing. You're spreading something bad, you know, um, where pesticides or some, I mean, not pesticides, but some sort of pest that's going to start eating up 
um, their growth. And you have to go back and apologize for talking to the wrong people about this. Um, so first of all, stop gossiping and go back and apologize. And then another thing that's really helped me as of late is to picture this um, as keeping you from seeing the Lord, right? So I'm gonna read again this scripture that says, um, in Hebrews, it says, make every effort to live at peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So when we have this, we're not working for peace. We're not, you know, making every effort when we're not going all the way through to holiness. It's going to keep us from seeing the Lord. And uh, on some levels, it needs to make you afraid. There is something about the fear of the Lord that is healthy. And I know this isn't very popular right now, but we need to have a healthy fear of the Lord and go, I'm not going to do anything that's going to keep me from seeing the Lord. So seeing these situations where there's not peace horizontally, um, seeing them as something that's going to keep us from seeing the Lord will help us. Um, and then the last thing, uh, well, no, not the last thing, but the next to last thing is to just, if you find something that you've been avoiding and there's something, you just go back and apologize apologize or if you've already apologized but it's still rocky and you don't know how to build it back because it's honestly it's been so damaged that um it may not be easy to build back i have definitely damaged relationships to the point where i'm not sure how how to build it back i'm not i'm not exactly sure how to do it um but ask god for ideas of how to rebuild writing cards, giving little encouragements, just putting little deposits. Do you just picture it putting deposits in the bank, one little penny at a time, pretty soon it will add up. And then the last thing is you may need to get objective help. So one of the hard things about being in such a close knit family, there's a lot of good things about that, but it's, you know, sometimes you need help with a friend, but other people are friends with those other people are friends. Your friends that you usually get advice from, you usually get help from, are friends with that friend. So I think it might be nice to go outside of your normal realm and see if you can get some objective help. Okay, and that's all I'm going to say about that. This is all about how do we sow? How do we pursue peace? What would it look like for you to pursue peace in your situation? I've given you things that have helped me to pursue peace, but how, how would it be for you? And I think that this is that um, a, a really important thing for us to realize is that it's going to take work to find peace. You know, there's a scripture also in Hebrews where it's talking about how, um, you know, God wants us to enter into his rest. This is his invitation to us for the Sabbath, is to enter into his rest. Every time we practice the Sabbath on a weekly basis, we are sort of um, getting a, a foretaste of what it's going to be like to enter into his rest. He teaches us through that. But you'll quickly find that we have to make every effort, as it says in Hebrews, to enter into that rest. It actually says that. You have to make every effort to enter into his rest, which seems very counterintuitive, you know. Um, but 
you realize that as you are practicing the Sabbath, you have to make every effort to enter into that rest because it doesn't happen unless you are preparing the six days before, you will never be to the point of being able to just relax on that day. You know, you have to figure out, it changes. Once you start celebrating Sabbath, it changes every other day of the week because you are organizing your life around that rest. You are figuring out how can I get the laundry and the, and the um, grocery shopping and the house cleaning and all of my other work. How can I get it all done in those other six days? So on this one seventh day, I can enter into that rest. Same concept with peace. How can I pursue it so that I can experience it? And that's um, what we're going to talk about next week a little bit. Or next, not next week, next time in the next video in part two. We're going to talk about how we can grow in peace. I hope this helps you. Until then.